What's going on, everybody? This is James Graymaster Facts Boys. You're here for another episode of the Facts Project. Today, we get to talk about Reign of Dracula with Rich Davis. Thank you for being here, sir. Man, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, man. Look, for one, uh, I am very intrigued by what I've been able to read so far as far as your book and what you're putting out there to Kickstarter. Um, so first question, um, as far as the reasonings of basically jumping into a very, very branchy type of a uh, creative IP as Dracula and vampires, what makes your story pretty much stick out amongst the rest? So uh, I provide a completely unique and uh, unexpected take on Dracula. Um, in this world, uh, to start with, Dracula is not one person. Dracula is a title uh, like queen or princess or empress. Mm -hmm. And it's passed down uh, from generation to generation, culture to culture, uh, through this bloodline that traces its lineage all the way back to Lilith in the Garden of Eden. Uh, so if you've picked up on a couple of things I've said there, uh, you're probably seeing the next way that my Dracula is different. Uh, my Dracula is a woman. Mm -hmm. um, first question I'm always asked is why? My response is usually because I wanted to, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, no, there actually really is a, there is a reason behind it. Um, what I knew when I started out uh, way back in 2021, uh, well, 2019 really was when I was writing it, uh, Cult of Dracula, mm -hmm. um, the first volume of this series. Um, what I knew was that I did not want to create another story about a pasty white dude from Eastern Europe invading Victorian London, you know, buying up all the real estate. Right. That's a great story. It's been done thousands of times. Right. People don't need my take on that, on that story. Um, there's no reason for me or anyone, frankly, to do that story again. It's just, you're tilling up the same ground. So I wanted to do something different. I wanted to hold true to Stoker's original themes and intentions, but I wanted to package it differently. So I took a deep dive into vampire mythologies, not only from a Western culture, but from all over the world, uh, mm. from uh, the Cherokee Nation to South America to uh, Egypt to ancient Greece um, uh, to the Islamic uh, countries. Um, and one of the things I started to notice is that our Western culture is one of the very few that has male vampires. In most cultures, vampires are women. Okay. Uh, they trace their origins back to the, the myth of the succubi. That's, that's, where, um, that's where vampires come from. So it made a whole lot of sense to me to just kind of go with that and give Dracula more of a global appeal because vampires don't belong exclusively to Western culture. So when you read Cult of Dracula, Rise of Dracula, and now Reign of Dracula, those are the three volumes, mm -hmm. um, what you'll start to see is that we draw different vampire stories into our Dracula legacy here. Like we'll pull the uh, the deer woman from Cherokee mythology, La Llorona from South America, the Aswang from the Philippines, uh, Medusa from ancient Greece, um, you know, all of these women were Dracula at different times in history, interpreted differently by the cultures who observed her. So once I went down that route, uh, it opened up this whole new world of storytelling possibilities, which allowed me to, again, keep keep true to Stoker's intentions, but give it to you in a way you're not expecting. That, that is excellent. Now, did you find any anything as far as like 
the the tropes that of course western styled uh vampire stories have been able to tell all the mm. uh, the quintessential things that we know from from what how dracula has always been told here in the mm-hmm. states is there mm-hmm. any commonalities that you've seen outside of that um so in so in my story we do keep the characters um we keep a lot of the setting names uh like in cult of dracula for example uh whitby is a sanatorium uh somewhere in tennessee Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we keep, we keep those things. Of course, you'll meet, uh, Jonathan Harker, Abe Van Helsing, uh, Lucy Westerna, Mina Murray. They're all there. Um, uh, Renfield is an, is another character. Um, I love, I love my Renfield in this story. He just really uh, came alive on his own. Um, and you know, as far as the commonalities, um, you know, of vampires from culture to culture, um, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. Um, you know, generally it is, uh, the major commonality is the um, the weakness in the sunlight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't really uh, acknowledge that a lot in Cult of Dracula because, again, it's such a common, as you said, trope. Everybody understands that. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody everybody already knows vampires can't come out in the sun. Everybody already knows vampires drink blood. I don't need to tell another story where these people are completely ignorant about vampires and they're like, oh, my God, they can't come out in the sun. Come on. It's we've all read a vampire story. And, and if you're setting it in modern day, any story in modern day, somebody's watched Twilight. OK, it, 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 it happened. So there's no reason to till that ground. And, uh, you know, I'd rather focus on the things that make my vampires different rather than the just kind of standard, you know, pick it up at Walmart t- style vampire. Mm. OK. Um, and in the incorporation of Lilith, uh, the, the it actually the. The first time I've actually seen um, Lilith basically be adapted into a comic book was actually in a Blade comic book, which is yeah. pretty mm-hmm. much going to be the the villain in the uh, in the newest upcoming Blade. Yes, that's that supposed to arrive. So yeah. I, I'm very curious as to how that's going to be portrayed. Yeah, and do you feel the same? I do, man. I I love the Lilith character. Um, she's fascinated me. Uh, since I first read about her in a in a world history class, um, world mythology class, um, and she's just a fascinating figure. And the more you delve into her, um, you know, the Bible says very little about her. Um, there is an apocryphal book called the Book of Lilith that's very interesting. Uh, she's mentioned uh, in Judaic uh, mythology a few times, but where she you really find out some cool stuff about her is in the Islamic myth. Mm. Um, the Islamic myth is way cooler than anything you get in the, um, uh, you know, in the Bible, uh, as far as this story goes anyway. Right, right, um, right. You know, in this one, uh, you know, it goes into more depth about who Lilith is. The angels are absolute dicks in this story. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very excited to see what, um, what they might do with Lilith um, in the Blade film. Because, you know, she is widely regarded as the um, the mother of demons uh, in mm-hmm. my world. She's the mother of vampires. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of interesting ways that you can go with her. And, um, you know, if you see her origin story, uh, which is in Cult of Dracula issue three, um, you get um, I think she can be a very sympathetic character, too, uh, because she if you really boil her down to her base principles, all she wanted to be was free. Mm. And, you know, she just didn't want to serve. She didn't want to be subservient, second class to Adam. 
I don't see what's wrong with that. I don't see what makes her evil, except for the fact that it pissed the angels off. And right. in the myth, um, you know, in the myth, God actually forgives her and sends the angels to uh, to go and find her in her cave and say, "Okay, all's forgiven. You can come back." And Lilith's like, nah, I'm good. You know, I'm going to stay here. And then the angels, they curse her to, um, she has to consume a thousand of her children every day to survive. Mm. So, you know, that makes it very easy to tie it into a vampire myth because vampires feed on innocence, vampires feed on life force. So the the angelic curse um, on Lilith, boom, that gives birth to vampires and everything else becomes a very easy story to tell in that world. Now, with the incorporation of basically how you just told that, and if the curse is actually instilled in the storyline of this book, uh, she does have uh, what the daughters of Dracula, Lucy and Mina, mm -hmm. that basically put in this book. And they're not there as companions. They're there to basically halt everything that's happening with the aid of uh, what Jonathan Harker and mm -hmm. Arthur uh, Homewood. Yes. Now, how did Lucy and Mina in this storyline, because they're also of of the vampire family, mm -hmm. how did they figure themselves to be somebody that like uh, we 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 want to be with her, but we're not with her? <laughs> that's a great uh, you know what? That's a great question. And they do have a very complicated um, and layered relationship that starts in Cult of Dracula, moves through Rise and culminates in, in Reign of Dracula. Um, you know, in the beginning, what we find out is uh, Lucy and Mina are half sisters. Uh, mm -hmm. They were born. Uh, they were born into this cult um, that worships um, an ancient blood goddess. Is what we know in the beginning. It turns out that blood goddess is um, is Dracula, mm -hmm. and so um, Mina uh, is. She believes that she escaped the cult as a child, and Lucy was left behind. Um, but what we find out later is there were other, uh, it, it wasn't so much her choice as she thought it was. Um, there's a lot of layers and betrayals, uh, in there. She ultimately, um, ends up, um, Lucy and Mina do end up confronting mother Dracula and, um, uh, and that leads us into rise of Dracula where Mina actually becomes Dracula. She, she steals that life force, that that title from mother Dracula at the end of cult of Dracula. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so uh, Mina and Lucy have a, I, I really enjoy writing them because I really enjoyed writing a very strong sister uh, story. Uh, it was interesting to me to explore that because I'm an only child. I've never had siblings. So to really try to create a, um, a, an interesting and believable dynamic between two sisters who, who love each other, but also vehemently disagree about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're as we bring them together really in cult and then rise, we spend forcing them apart and then uh, in Reign of Dracula, uh, they're running a dual uh, parallel story. Uh, people will pick up on this. Um, you'll see uh, you'll see parallels with Inferno and Paradiso. Um, Lucy is working her way through the nine circles of hell, uh, while Mina is working her way through the choruses of heaven. Um, and each one of them will confront um, God from different perspectives. Um, and this is all happening while a literal Armageddon is happening on Earth. And right. again, not just the Judeo-Christian concept of Armageddon, but we pull in we pull in Hindu mythology, we pull in uh, we pull in Incan mythology. 
mythology, Mayan mythology, uh, uh, Middle Eastern and Asian mythologies. We pull all of these in. I mean, in, in the opening battle, um, you know, because it opens, I mean, right, right in the middle of the, the shit has hit the fan. Right. And right. I mean, you see these giant Nephilim, you know, they're like striding across the buildings and, you know, little soldiers are down there trying to shoot them with their guns. <laughs> and then you'll see a demon fly through and an angel cut it down. And, you know, and you'll see like a zombie army sweeping through and then there's vampire. It's it's uh, it's insane. I, I like to tell people. If if Cult of Dracula were a Toby Hooper Southern Gothic Texas Chainsaw Massacre style uh, right. film, Rise of Dracula would be a John Carpenter near future dystopia, and uh, Reign of Dracula is a full on George Miller Mad Max. The world is fucked. Apocalypse. Mm. And, and it's funny because it's there's there's these distinctive points of views that are happening too because there's almost like. I guess if you want to look at it, there's distinctive missions. Lucy's has her own. Mina has mm -hmm. her own. And it is already this ground assault that's happening on Earth. It's almost uh, what Luke and Vader up there in the stars and the Battle of Endor is happening. There you go. Actually, that's a great way to look at it. Um, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Harker and Arthur Holmwood. Um, they they've uh, they've really grown um, from Cult of Dracula. Jonathan was just a a boring milk toast every man um arthur was a very conflicted but selfish person um and they grow they start to lead the resistance in rise of dracula and by reign of dracula they're they're basically humanity's last stand them and uh you know the refugees the people they the the ragtag rebels they've been able to pull together you know that, that's mm -hmm. basically it for humanity um i mean this is it's a dark and bleak story and if you're expecting a happy ending you're reading the wrong book right now now outside of this like uh, even though mina and lucy's ultimate i guess uh goal Mm -hmm. is the destruction of Lilith. Who's to say that one of them won't have a, a lust for power and, and want to take over in any sort of sort of time frame? Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's there's a lot of different directions that this story could go. And I've been laying the breadcrumbs. If you've been paying it, if you paid attention from the beginning, and, and it's if you don't get it, it's okay. Don't worry, because it's it's very well hidden in there. But you mm -hmm. actually do you see the ending coming because I planted the seeds for it all the way back in Cult of Dracula. Um, so it's there's not this it, the world I wanted to create is not simple black and white it's it's, right. it's it's layered it's it's all colors of the spectrum there's uh renfield in cult of dracula has this um has this line about uh where you are when you see something is just as important as what you see it all comes down to perspective and point of view mm -hmm. um and so that's a theme that we hammer over and over and over again i don't answer a lot of questions about morality, good and evil for the reader. I leave that up to you. If you're reading it, mm -hmm. you're a big boy, you're a big girl. You can interpret the story the way you want. You can decide who's right, who's wrong, or maybe they're both wrong. Maybe they're both a little bit right. You know, you, you get to make those decisions. I, I don't make them for you. I just, I tell you this story that allows you to, you know, kind of go uh, whichever way you feel. Uh, there's there's a great uh, speech in uh, in Rise of Dracula, and I got so much hate mail, well, messages, DMs um, about it from both people on the left and the right of the political spectrum. Because there's a way to read there's a way to read the 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 speech that Lucy gives um, uh, when she assumes power. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can read it as an absolute communist manifesto, or you can read it as as hardcore MAGA slamming down the gauntlet um, on the on the podium. And both of those interpretations are correct, and both of those interpretations are wrong perspective point of view what do you take from it and in reign of dracula the story is going to be it's going to be that same way um while while lucy is working her way through the nine uh, circles of hell that doesn't necessarily mean that she's evil and it doesn't necessarily mean that she's good either it's just how are you going to interpret it um and uh it's been a very interesting story to tell I've, i've honestly enjoyed uh writing lucy lucy's journey a little bit more than mina's but i know mina's journey is going to have a bigger payoff in the end so i'll probably end up digging her more when when we get there definitely now recently as of recently you actually came out with a a revamped uh version of the campaign yes and you've uh i mean you you actually have had an opportunity to actually push this out in a certain manner that not only uh, have you taken this opportunity to jump into a lot of digital artwork? Uh, mm-hmm. But judging by the artwork that's behind you, you do uh, you you have a fascination with a lot of painted covers. Mm-hmm. So you you added uh, what is the ink wash finish, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that you've been able to do things digitally. The interior uh, paint on the inside of the covers are all black. It's all black and white. Yes, that's what's really cool because um, so uh, Reign of Dracula will come out in comic book stores in, beginning in the spring of 2024. Okay. So you'll be able to get it. You'll be able to get the 24 page full color issues um, in your local comic book shop. Um, you know, no problem. Uh, you know, my books are distributed through Diamond and Simon and Schuster. So they'll be out there. Yeah. Um, but so what we when Jerry convinced Jerry Carita from Thorny Comics, uh, when he convinced me to do the Kickstarter, um, I told him, okay, two two things. There's got to be a reason, and we've got to make it affordable and accessible for people. So um, the reason uh, to go and support the Kickstarter rather than waiting for it to come out in the comic book store, although I do want you to go buy it in the comic book store, please, um, that way I can keep doing these things. Right. Uh, so what we're doing is we're giving you something that you cannot get anywhere else, and you're going to get it sooner than anybody else. So what we're doing with our Kickstarter, these um, these editions are actually 48-page jumbo sized issues. So remember, the ones that come out in comic shops are 24 pages. 24. Yep. Yes. So you're getting two issues, the equivalent of two issues, plus bonus content uh, in each one of these. So we're going to do a Kickstarter for one and two, three and four, five and six. Uh, right. So you'll be able to get those. And the interiors are going to be uh, black and white ink wash in the Kickstarter uh exclusive versions the ver those versions of these books will uh they will be the exact number that we uh, that we sell will be printed there will never be any more um those will be never never be reproduced in any format after that the only way you'll be able to get these is through the kickstarter and some of these covers i mean if we're looking at it some of them there may there may be 10 or fewer printed um, and that's it. So these are going to be incredibly rare um, and collectible books. Um, and you get you get a lot of bonus material. So there's a reason there's a reason to go and back the Kickstarter uh, other than just, hey, give me money. Uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that the that my backers really got something special, something yeah. unique um, by choosing to support me uh, in this endeavor. Definitely. Now, I've had the opportunity to uh, interview Jerry Carita 
for uh, uh, Cicada Samurai. Now, yes. basically, with the with with his newest imprint with Thorny Comics, and with mm -hmm. it being a new imprint, what was mm -hmm. basically your reasoning in joining forces with him in order to put put out Reign of Dracula? Um, you know, I'm probably going to spill a little bit of tea here. I apologize. Um, it was uh, it was kind of a necessity, to be honest. Um, I was at San Diego Comic Con, um, and initially, uh, Reign of Dracula was going to be coming out through Red Five Comics. Um, Red Five has gone through some uh, restructuring and reorganization over there. Scott Chitwood's really he's taken the lead, and Scott's an amazing human being, really is. He's worked so hard um, on my book. I have a book out from them called Prometheus in Chains. Okay. Um, it's in comic book stores now. And um, Scott was he told me, you know, like, hey, we I'll honor everything in your contract. We will do Reign of Dracula. But I could I could see it in his eyes that it was going to be difficult for him because he's taking over this company um and uh he's trying to do trying to hold everything together and still keep things going right. um so rather than putting a lot of pressure on uh on scott that he didn't deserve because again he's a fine human being i, I can't speak highly enough of scott not uh, chitwood at red five right. um so i decided to take reign of dracula off of his plate because another thing about scott scott's really not his wheelhouse isn't mature comics scott loves to make comics for uh young readers uh, mm -hmm. and that's just not what i write right, so right, right. Uh, jerry and i had a relationship through um the netflix television show swap shop um jerry was the producer uh i was uh i was on on screen talent um i was the comic book buyer in the show uh and jerry um and tom mum and i we became very good friends we kept in contact um you know uh, hell jerry and i took a road trip up to pennsylvania to see my friend tony todd um perform in um in a stage play there so you know jerry and i've been become really good friends and so when he was launching uh thorny comics uh you know it just it just made a lot of sense the universe the stars lined up and uh jerry had a new imprint i had a new comic uh he needed he needed content i needed a home we love working together and you know honestly this is where i should have been all along um, because I know with Jerry and with Thorny Comics, I'm not just a paragraph uh, in previews. I'm not just a line item. Uh, you know, he really cares about the project. He really cares about its success. And that's not to say that, you know, people that at Red 5 and Sourcepoint Press, not that they didn't care, right. but, you know, uh, they had a lot of other things to care about. Mm -hmm. So I was one uh, at Source Point. I was one of many books at Red Five. I was one of many books here at Thorny Comics. I'm the book. I get my, you know, we get the sunshine uh, on on this title, on this project, and everybody there is, you know, is behind it. And just like, you know, when the next book comes out, I'll be joining them. I'll be right behind them, supporting them. So it's a, uh, you know, it, it's a very supportive place to be, and I'm very excited to see where. Uh, where they're able to go um, with their uh, partnerships with Blue Juice Comics and then yeah. uh, you know, things like that. So there, there's a there's a bright future for Thorny Comics, and uh, I am very happy uh, to be a part of it. That's excellent. That's excellent. Now, adaptation. Um, mm -hmm. As far as development, Cult of Dracula, mm -hmm. and a very pivotal voice in horror. Mm -hmm. And pretty much you brought him up briefly, Tony Todd. Yeah. yeah. How this introduction happened? <laughs> um, so I met Tony uh, back in twenty 
2013, mm, uh, okay. back when Cult of Dracula was a stage play. Um, my background, for those of you who don't know, uh, my background is in the world of film and theater. Um, I've been a playwright, I've been a screenwriter. Um, that, that's my wheelhouse. Um, so I originally wrote Cult of Dracula as a stage play. It was performed at the Browncoat Pub and Theater in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It ran for an entire month of sold out shows. It was nominated for several North Carolina theater awards. It won a few of them. Um, and as again, the stars lined up as fate would have it, uh, Tony Todd happened to be in town filming something. Um, uh, Wilmington has Screen Gem Studios. You know, it's well known for uh, Dawson's Creek, uh, One Tree Hill. They filmed the most recent Scream movies, the most recent Halloween movies there. So it's a big studio. Okay. Uh, Tony was in town. Tony was in town filming uh, something. I forget what. And he had a night off and decided he wanted to go to the theater. And he came uh, and he stumbled into my theater and he watched my show and he hung around afterward and. Um, you know, he was very, very encouraging. Something about something about the play, something about the story really resonated with him. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was he's kept saying, Rich, you know, you got to do something with this. This can't be it. You know, you got to do you've got you've got something here. So my original intention was to adapt that stage play to a screenplay. And I was going to produce a, um, a low budget independent film. You know, I, I had the connections in the, the, the film industry. I had people that would work crew. Uh, Tony uh, was graciously um, uh, offering to be a part of it, to play Agent Brom. Um, and so I began working on that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my wife, Amber, uh, became uh, very ill with a uh, chronic kidney disease and she passed away in 2020 oh sorry um, did it thank you um but so when she got sick uh i knew i couldn't make a film uh you know i couldn't devote the time the resources necessary because making even a low budget film is very very expensive and very oh, yeah. very time consuming so um i gave up i actually deleted uh the entire project so that i wouldn't be tempted to go back to it and Amber got so pissed at me. I, I don't think she had ever in my life yelled at me as much as she did that night. And um, luckily, she had a uh, she had a PDF of the script that I had sent to her, um, and she made me go back to it. She said, "You know, I get it. I know that we can't we can't do the film right now. Okay." She said, "I understand." but you can't give up on it. And she said, well, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you look at turning it into a comic book? And it was like a, a light went off in my head. And I was like, you know, writing a comic book script isn't dissimilar from writing a screenplay. In fact, a comic book script has more in common with a screenplay than it does with writing a prose novel. It does. Um, very, very similar. And, and, you know, writing prose and writing scripts requires a completely different skill set. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully, my background was in writing scripts, not writing novels. So it was a, it was a fairly, I'm not going to say it was an easy transition, but it was, uh, it was easier than it would have been to try to turn it into a novel. Um, I made, I'd made contacts in the comic book industry over the years. George's Genty um, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's working on Mandalorian right now. Mm. Um, fantastic guy. He helped me. Um, uh, the late Tom Lyle, um, veteran of both Spider-Man and Batman, um, those people, uh, they were willing to give me a lot of advice and help me. So we turned it into a comic book. It became a top 50 best-selling comic book of 2021. And, uh, it was optioned, uh, immediately, um, when it hit shelves, it was optioned to be developed into a feature film. 
Uh, it took a long time because COVID hit right in the middle of all that. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, eventually the company that optioned it uh, sold that option to another company called BR Films and uh, BR Films uh, put it into immediate active development. And then the writers and actors strike happened. So <laughs> the brakes got pumped on that again. Mm -hmm. uh, now that the strikes are resolved, um, it is, um, <clears throat> it's, everything's moving again, which is awesome. Um, and uh, there's a very, uh, very large company uh, that has an animal as a, as a logo um, that's taking a very strong look at Cult of Dracula right now. So a mythical a animal thing. or an animal. Um, a an animal is okay, their gotcha. that's their um, yeah that's their other uh, kind of mascot I guess right right now if you if you took yourself back uh to when you know maybe maybe you were just starting to put this together and just putting cult of, cult of Dracula together mm -hmm. is there anything you would have done differently? Wow. You know, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not a person who generally looks backward at, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, um, you know, because I don't think we'll ever move forward as long as we're looking back over our shoulders. Um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I would have, um, I would have spent a little more time uh, fundraising um, in the beginning. Um you know, uh, if if SourcePoint Press knew this and they're going to know it after they hear this. Um, but when I went to them, uh, when I when I took them Cult of Dracula, number one, mm -hmm. uh, Cult of Dracula, number one is all I had done. I had not written the script for issue two, three, four, five or six. I had a very loose outline for it. My artist had not started on anything because he didn't have a script. So right. maybe, maybe if I went back on that, maybe I would have, um, I would have had more, um, you know, more finished before I took it to the publishers. But you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a guy. You know, shoot your shot. You know, yeah. take take your swing, and if you hey. see opportunity coming seize it worry about how you're going to make it work later go for it and so i did you know i saw my i saw my shot i took it i hit it and then i had to scramble to uh to get everything together after that so you know if i could do it all over again i'd, I'd have more uh more ready to go because that would have saved me a lot of headaches and a lot of um a lot of uh, acid reflux and um sleepless nights well, uh, now that the heartburn is settled, I'll say that it's worked out well so far. I think so. I, now, I'm happy with where we are. Excellent. That now, uh, I, I appreciate you doing this with me. Uh, right now, you got about uh, two weeks left in the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. And um, out outside of this, when when the when the bulk of uh, Reign of Dracula starts to hit everybody's mailboxes and everything like that, and then convention season starts back up. Is there going to be the inclusive factor of possibly conjoining all three books into one omnibus? Yes, that's something that we've discussed. Um, it's going to be a little complicated being as, you know, the book was released across multiple uh, publishers. Um, but SourcePoint Press, who put out uh, Cult and Rise of Dracula, They've been very accommodating and willing to work with us. In fact, in the Kickstarter, uh, there's actually a catch-up tier. There's a there's a digital catch-up and a physical yep. catch-up. So you can get um, Cult and Rise of Dracula um, by backing this Kickstarter. Uh, SourcePoint Press was very um, very kind to work with us to be able to do that. Uh, so if you want to read digitally, you can. If you want to read them in physical, we can do that. 
Um, and then uh, the ultimate goal in the end um, is to collect it into a large, either an omnibus or a slipcover box set, uh, because I, you know, I, I really, I just want to see that on my shelf. So I'm hoping that we can put it on other people's as well. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so Rich, this, this was a great interview and I wish you the best. Once again, two weeks left in the campaign. It's, it's, it, it, it seems like a real good thing happening. And then mm-hmm. I, I wish you the best. I appreciate it, man. And I thank you again for having me. Um, you know, I started my career by going on uh, every podcast I could get that would have me. Um, and podcasters like yourself, uh, they, they got me here. Um, so I'm very happy to be able to come back and, and do it again so you can get me to my next to my next destination. Um, you know, I, I love what you guys do. I love your show. So I'm humbled and honored to be here. Happy to do it, man. Thank you. So for uh, James Graham, Master Facts Boys, Rich Davis, Reign of Dracula, thank you guys for joining us again. And we are out.